The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show really incorporates a lot of Canadian privacy, and they are our neighbors to the north. And they have actually led the way in many ways, and we've led the way in many ways as well. So there's a lot of, you know, cross uh, sharing and learning from each other. And I thought it would be fascinating to talk with our wonderful guest, Tamara Hunter, who is an associate consul with Davis LLP in beautiful Vancouver. You know, we've had Anne Kavukian on our show, who is the privacy commissioner in Toronto. And so um, Ontario, that this is another state and province in Canada. And they know they are doing some incredible things there. And so I wanted to share with her um, some of the issues that are really important that really affect both Canada as well as the United States. So let me tell you a little bit about her wonderful background. Tamara Hunter is the leader of the firm's privacy law compliance group, and she's a member of the litigation group. She practices in the area of freedom of information and privacy law, administrative law, professional regulation law, and commercial litigation. And she acts for a variety of professional regulatory bodies on matters involving registration, professional disciplinary proceedings, and related litigation. And she's conducted numerous uh, hearings before professional dignitary tribunals, and she's represented professional regulatory bodies before the Office of the Information and Privacy Commissioner, the British Columbia Human Rights Tribunal, the Supreme Court of British Columbia, and the British Columbia Court of Appeal. And she's written dozens of articles on various aspects of privacy. So I thought she'd be wonderful. So thank you so much, Tamara, for joining us from the beautiful, beautiful Vancouver. Thank you, Mari. I'm happy to be with you today. So Canada has really, I mean, I I really honor Canada in terms of privacy. You have really been leaders and you have privacy commissioners and you have an overall privacy commissioner. We don't even have that. We don't have the kind of enforcement for privacy that you have up in Canada. So let's talk about some of the top privacy issues that are going on right now in Canada. Sure. Uh, There's several issues that are kind of on the top of people's list right now in Canada. One is anti-spam law. We have federal anti-spam law that's pending, so we're helping our clients to get ready for that. Um, Another key issue here is the issue of random drug and alcohol testing by employers. 
and there's a case pending right now in the Supreme Court of Canada called the Irving case that deals with that. Um, another issue that's of interest is uh, employers using GPS-enabled technology in company vehicles and the issue of when and how that can be used and whether that's a breach of employee privacy. So um, we have had a recent decision by our BC Privacy Commissioner on that, and there's a couple of more pending. Um, another issue is is the one of information security breaches and whether there should be mandatory reporting if there's an information security breach, uh, say, in a corporation, uh, to the commissioner. In Alberta, we do have mandatory information security breach reporting, but in British Columbia, for example, we do not, and currently the federal privacy legislation does not require it. So that's an issue, whether whether the other uh, pieces of legislation should require it. And then background checks is always a, a key one for employees and employers. Well, those are great ones to talk about. Let's talk about each one separately so that my, you know, my audience can hear what's going on and we can kind of compare sure. it to what's going on with the United States because as, as sister countries, we really are kind of looking over each other's shoulders. And for right. example, you know, we've had our first security breach legislation and you guys came later, but of course you have the privacy commissioners and you are, you have a, a, a privacy framework that we don't even have. So um, mm-hmm. let's kind of start with, um, well, can you kind of explain, I think it's important to kind of explain how your privacy framework even works. You actually, you have an overall privacy law, right? We do. And I was looking at the list of the California laws on your website, and um, you have a lot, it seems, of privacy laws that are specific to particular industries or sectors or areas. Right. Um, in Canada, we have general personal information protection legislation. So it doesn't pertain to any given industry. It pertains to all organizations with respect to their collection, use, and disclosure of anyone's personal information. Uh, The federal legislation applies where it's being used for a commercial purpose. Um, And then we have similar kind of legislation in many of the provinces but the only difference there in the provinces is that it would apply even to nonprofits and, you know, unions, any organization that's using it, whether for commercial purposes or not. Um, and the only reason for the difference in Canada is because of our federal provincial system. The federal government only has uh, constitutional power to pass legislation that relates to a head of power that's federal, so trade and commerce in this case. Right, right. So your federal law basically is for governmental agencies, is that right? Well, we have two separate, actually, federal. We have the private sector, what we call PEPIDA, Personal Information Protection Electronic Documents Act. That pertains to private businesses when they use personal information for commercial purposes. Right. And then aside from that, you're, you're quite right, we also have legislation that only pertains to federal government entities. And it has to do with how the federal government uses the citizens' um, personal information. Mm-hmm. And so, like many of the European Union, Canada looks at the idea of personal information, personally identifiable information, and personal information is really belonging to the consumer. Am I right? Correct, yeah. The presumption is that you cannot dis- collect, use, or disclose it 
unless you have a consent or unless it fits within a specific exception to the consent requirement. And in our country, it's pretty much the opposite. They can mm-hmm. use our information for most issues. They can use our information unless we opt out. There's some, uh, you know, state laws like California has a couple laws that consent has to be um, provided affirmative consent. But most of the time, most of our patchwork of privacy laws is opt out rather than opt in. So that's why I, I really honor so much of what you're doing in Canada. And I, whenever I speak with Ann Kavukian, you know, I get excited mm-hmm. because, you know, she, the commissioners actually have enforcement powers. They do. And, and that's something really um, very helpful, I think, because consumers individually can, can get redress and um, and then the ombudsman can usually resolve issues before it gets into a big lawsuit. So there's a lot right. of great things that you guys do up there that I really honor that I, I wish that we could, um, you know, mirror that. But we, we, you know, our whole system is a little bit different, but I really think you guys mm-hmm. are doing a great job. Oh, thank you. Let's yeah, I like. I think our system's good yeah. in that it it certainly does give power to the consumer. Yes, it honors and respects the consumer information, personal information. Whereas, I I think that that's a bigger problem here. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the key components of the Canadian anti-spam law. Right. Well, there's sort of two main components to it. One is that you can't once it's in force, you will not be able to send a commercial electronic message without prior consent. So no unsolicited commercial electronic messages unless uh, it fits into some exception. And there's several different kinds of exceptions in the regulations. But the default is you've got to have prior consent or you can't send someone a commercial electronic message. Um, So that's the first key component. The second key component is It has to do with things like um, malware and spyware, um, and you cannot, a company cannot put um, technology or or anything onto someone else's computer that would have that effect without their prior consent. Right. So that even affects companies that do business with Canada, right? So if we have companies that in, in the United States, which might be driving by right now, they have to comply with that law. Isn't that correct? They should be, yes. And I mean, certainly it'll be more difficult for the CRTC, that's the um, Canadian Radio Television Commission in Canada, to enforce it against a foreign um, business, but yes, if they're if they're um, sending it to Canadians, they should be complying with it. Exactly. So that's important for those people who are driving by that that there might be some differences um, with our anti-spam law, can spam right. versus anti-spam. That you have to, if the Canadian law um, is more restrictive, we have to comply with the more restrictive elements than we would mm-hmm. here, and so. Right. You know, the good thing about that, though, really, Tamara, is I feel like if they're going to comply with more restrictive, why don't they just do it for everybody? Across the board, yeah. (laughs) You know, maybe we could reap the benefits here down here in the United States if (laughs) if Canada has more restrictive, you know, especially since a lot of companies do so much business with Canada. Yes, and vice versa. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So um, is there... um, I know you and I talked before the radio st- show started talking about when that legislation is going to come into being and why that's important. 
Well, yeah, that's kind of the million-dollar question in Canada right now because uh, we the government has not been entirely clear about when it's going to come into force. They were talking about it, well, since they've been talking about it since 2010. Mm. Um, and they have passed some regulations. There's other regulations that are in draft form right now that haven't been finalized, and it won't come into force until those are finalized. They're doing some stakeholder consultations right now on the draft regulations. Um, but it looks like it'll be in force in 2014. The question is, will it be first quarter of 2014, or will it you know, be later into maybe the third quarter of 2014? Uh, we're telling our clients, of course, to just start getting ready now and get as many express consents from your recipients of commercial electronic messages as you can now, because that's the answer, really. Um, get prior consent. If you've got that and you can prove that you've got it, you don't have to worry about all the convoluted exceptions. Um, but yeah, we're, we're not sure when it's going to come into force, and that's a little bit frustrating for business here right now. And businesses here, too, that do business with Canada, they are for they're sure. also, you know, so, you know, as, as advising consul, it's always a good idea when you know something's coming down the pike, you know, start getting ready early because otherwise mm-hmm. you're going to have problems. And the same thing with the Federal Trade Commission when we have new laws coming down federally in our country, you know, or state laws, you better just, you know, instead of fighting it and saying, I don't want to do it, I don't want to have to be happy with it, you might as well just, you know, surrender and get it done so that you're protected from any kind of enforcement action. Absolutely. And the fines are pretty high. Yeah. The fines are like a million dollars for an individual offender and uh, 10 million per instance wow. for organizations. Wow. Now, I think there'll be a bit of a grace period when it first comes in, in terms of the actual enforcement. But technically, you can be fined a business $10 million for an infraction. Wow! Wow! I mean, but that's but actually that's good though. I mean, that you're going to have to have something to get people to, you know, it's unfortunate that you have to have the stick. You know, it's always nice mm-hmm, to be able to mm-hmm. offer a carrot and a stick, but um, but sometimes you have to have the stick if people are not complying. Let's yeah. talk a little bit about things that that really affect all of our um, our citizens, both in Canada and in the United States, and that's the issue of background checks. That's really scary. What kind of legislation and what's going on with background checks in Canada? Well, our general privacy legislation would apply because when you do a background check on someone, you're collecting their personal information. So if you have consent to obtain a background check by way of the applicant for for employment, you know, signing an express consent form, that will work, but it, it has to be worded in such a way that it's clear, um, you know, just how far you can go in checking. Um, but what happens is there are instances where companies want to do, for example, criminal record checks or credit checks on all applicants for any position. And that's been an issue in Canada. We had a decision, for example, by our Alberta commissioner involving a company that was doing blanket credit checks on all applicants for employment. Uh, And one of the applicants um, sort of put her foot down and said, look, that's ridiculous. I'm just applying for a receptionist position. You don't need to know my credit history. Right. And she took it to the Alberta commissioner, and he agreed. He said, with the individual, he said, you have to look at the particular position that the person is applying for and whether a credit check makes sense. I mean, sometimes it does if you're hiring a controller or something, um, you know, or an accountant. But 
if this is someone who's not going to be handling, you know, significant amounts of money or in a position where trust is a huge issue, you shouldn't, it's overly invasive, invasive of that person's privacy to require them to consent to a credit check. So that was an instance where the commissioner was saying, I don't care if you've got the person's consent, it's just not reasonable. So, and that, I have a question about that. So in California, we actually passed a law that said that unless there is some reason, like you're talking about, that they're a controller or that they're going to have access to sensitive data that yeah. might be financial data, that under those circumstances, you can get a credit report, but otherwise you can't. And so... Um, the fact that this is California law, this is enforceable. Now, once the commissioner makes that decision, does that become like a like a legal decision? Like, is it almost like a court decision? It's very similar. Yes, um, you know, we have the common law system in most parts of Canada, other than Quebec, which means that you know we we work on this system of precedence, and and it applies in the privacy commission area. The Alberta commissioner has order making power. Uh, not just ombudsman power like uh, the Ontario, um, I sorry, the federal commissioner. Our uh-huh. federal commissioner only has an ombudsman. They can make a recommendation, but I not see. an order. Our Alberta commissioner, like the BC commissioner, can make an order that's binding on the company that's involved. And then, you know, I mean, we would then advise our clients who are in a similar situation, you should abide by that decision because if someone complains, it's, you know, you're gonna, the same order's going to issue. I see. But it's it's almost like um, your province, it doesn't have jurisdiction over another, like a different, like Ontario or something. No. 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 Okay. Okay. It's yeah, that's like us too. Province. It's like, yeah, we have an actual law that was passed by the legislature saying this, right. but that doesn't necessarily apply to Illinois or a different state. So it is right. similar in that way. But I think the fact that you have a privacy commissioner who has um, order making power, that's that's incredible. That's great. That, so that's, that's a good thing. It is. And, you know, it's not just the order. I mean, because if the company breaches the order, they're in contempt. But it's also the um, embarrassment factor because right. the commissioner publishes the decisions on their website. And, oh. so, and sometimes they even issue a press release if they're really, you know, not happy with an organization. And it names right. the organization. So reputational damage is something you know, organizations here have to think about. Right, right. So how about um, when when you authorize a background check, is mm-hmm. there an automatic opportunity for you to get an, uh, a copy of that background check? Is, is that something that you have? Like we have that in California, that uh-huh. you check a box that um, whether or not you're denied the employment or there's any question of discrimination, if you mark the mm-hmm. box, then that means you are entitled to a copy. Mm, that's do you have that? We don't have that exact mechanism, but we do have the right under our privacy legislation to make a specific request to an organization for a copy of whatever personal information they might hold about me. Right. So if I applied somewhere and I didn't get the job, I could then write to them afterward. I would write to their privacy officer and say, I would like a copy of all the information you have about me. And you know, subject to a few exceptions, they would have to produce that for me. Right, right. Huh, interesting. Mm-hmm. So what about, you were talking about the uh, drug testing. What What are the mm-hmm. laws with regard to that, since that's a huge issue here as well? Right. Well, the case that's pending in the Supreme Court of Canada, the Irving case, 
it's about random drug and alcohol testing. Um, we've had a number of decisions that have made it reasonably clear that if the industry um, is one that involves safety-sensitive uh, positions, that um, if there's an incident or an issue, a safety issue, there can be testing after the fact to see what was going on at the time. But what Irving was wanting to do was just take randomly t- uh, 10% of its employees at any given time and test them for alcohol, whether there's been <laughs> any safety incident or not. Oh so goodness. kind of a preventive um, uh, move, I guess. And the but that's um, discriminatory. Union, yeah, I mean. well, yeah, and the union said, "Wait a minute, that's really invasive." You know, you have no reason to think there's a problem with this person, and yet you're testing them. And Irving's argument is, "Well, that's for everyone's safety, and it's just the nature of our industry. It's a pulp and paper mill." <laughs> uh, but you know, the, the court, the lower court, uh, thought it was, um, you know, problematic. And it's gone to our Supreme Court of Canada. So we'll be getting a decision on that, I think, fairly soon. Interesting. Just interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Now, how about um, you were talking about employee records? And I know that you had um, a decision, I think it was, that you wrote about, actually, about the privacy of employee records at the Supreme Court of uh, Canada. Oh, the Cole case. The yeah, Cole that case. Was, Why don't you tell us a little bit about that one? That sounds interesting. Sure. That was an interesting case. It was a case where a teacher had uh, pornographic images stored on his laptop. Mm. And the school uh, information technology person, just doing routine checks for any, you know, malware issues with the computer, found that there was an unusual file on this person's laptop. It was a laptop that was issued to the teacher by the school district. I see. Um, okay. But he was allowed to use it for personal use. There was some um, wording in the policy to the effect that it was okay to use it for personal use as long as it didn't sort of interfere with, you know, productivity. Right. Um, but that the company had the right to, um, you know, check it for technical issues or malware or what have you. Right, right. So the information technology guy noticed there was an odd file and took a closer look and saw that it was pornography and reported this to the principal, who then confiscated the computer and uh, alerted the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Mm. So the police then um, took the laptop from the principal, and the issue in Cole was about the police use of the evidence in the subsequent criminal trial because it was a warrantless search and seizure. Oh, interesting. The court said there was nothing wrong with what the principal did because the principal had a statutory obligation to protect, you know, students right, and so right, on in the right. school. And so from an employee-employer point of view, the school hadn't done anything wrong, which I think most of us would agree with. Right. Um, the one thing that was interesting out of that case was the court said, because the police were saying, well, this this teacher had no reasonable expectation of privacy in that because he's a teacher and it's a school laptop and so on. Um, And and so given that he had no expectation of privacy, it was okay for us to seize it without a warrant. And the Supreme Court of Canada said he didn't have zero expectation of privacy. Obviously, his expectation would have to be lowered because of the circumstances. 
but let's say he had his personal banking records on there, he still has some expectation of privacy in those banking records, and it doesn't mean that the school or the police could just nab those files without, um, you know, a proper basis yeah. or a warrant. Um, but in this particular situation, they decided that um, the police, although it was a warrantless search, it was justified in all of the circumstances. We kind of have a two-step test for that right. here. So it was a warrantless search. Um, it was an unreasonable search and seizure, but they allowed them to use the evidence anyway because of the you know, compelling circumstances. Yeah, it's interesting because I've seen cases in this country where if it's, if it's a company-owned device... Mm-hmm. Okay, then there is no no expectation of privacy. Mm-hmm. Okay, but again, it goes back to what was the agreement between the school district that you can use it for personal, but I don't know it, what it originally said. If you use it for personal, but you you know that we have a right to look at anything. You know, it depends on what it said. But I, I think that's interesting because basically the the bottom line is in this country is if it's owned by the you know, the company and the company mm-hmm. says you don't have a reasonable expectation of privacy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Then you Basically, <laughs> then you really don't have it. And then it was the um, the school, uh, the principal voluntarily gave it to the police. You know, right. so that's that's you know, that's just a different way of looking at it. And it goes back to, you know, what expectation of privacy do you have when you're using a device of somebody else's? You know, it goes back to the whole issue of like if you're using your company email, which I always tell my clients never use your company email mm-hmm. to to discuss anything with me. Um, but if you're using your company's email versus using Google or, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like Gmail or something, do you have an expectation of privacy? So it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a really f- fuzzy area, isn't it? It is. And until the Cole case came down, from, well, the Supreme Court of Canada is our highest court. And until that case was uh, issued, there were a lot of employers who took the position that if we say in our privacy policy that you have zero expectation of privacy in our when you use our equipment. Yeah. Then that's it, and that's the bottom line. And that and a lot of lawyers thought that would be upheld because the person agreed to that when they right. worked there. But the court was saying it doesn't matter what the policy says, depending on the nature of the information that's used, depending on all the circumstances, like whether you know personal use was tolerated, uh, even if not condoned, and all of those things there will still be some expectation of privacy. It won't be zero, but right. it'll be a lowered or diminished expectation in those circumstances. Right. So I think, what do you then say to your clients? I mean, in terms of the employers that you advise? Well, what we say is uh, don't assume that an employee has zero expectation. So when you want to have a look at what somebody has been doing on your equipment, uh, tread cautiously, you know, and, and Think ahead of time. What are the factors that you know from Irving, the dis- or, sorry, uh, yeah. Cole, yeah. that that weigh in your favor, allowing you to do this, and right. which ones don't? So if it's a really unclear situation, they usually want to get a legal opinion before they start going into any files that seem yeah. personal. Yeah, it's fascinating, mm-hmm. and and you know I think especially young people, they think. You know, even if they're on Facebook and even if it's open and even if they haven't used any of the privacy, they think that, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, that's their private stuff. They don't get it. They don't get it. Yeah, these these I, lines. 
I don't have a Facebook account, and I find it appalling personally, but I'm a privacy geek, so... But you would not be... You would not believe how many privacy geeks, you know, that belong to IAPP, their privacy professionals mm. that do have Facebook. But I have a Facebook, but I'm real careful on what mm-hmm. I put up there. So, you know, it's a matter of being discerning because, you know, it's it is yeah. a little bit scary. Mine is open because I that's what I put up there, open stuff. And I think before I put up there. So. It's, right. it, it is a scary time, but we are out of time. Tamara, that was just fascinating to hear all about the uh, comparisons with our countries. So you're terrific. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed speaking with you, Mari. Oh, and I hope we get to meet soon. And thank you so much for all the great work. And let me know when you want to come back on when some new laws are passed, okay? Oh, I sure will. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.